Welcome to What You Sipping On podcast, powered by B3. Um, we appreciate you tuning in. Um, I am here, Dennis Tolpa, with Studio Bank, uh, Mortgage Relationship Manager. My buddy Eric Thornton here with EXP Realty and William Stiles with Country Financial. So if you're in the market to buy a home, we got you covered all in one spot. Um, we appreciate you tuning in. Um, if you haven't before, um, this podcast, we interview local business professionals and leaders within the community, um, kind of highlight what they do and hear their story. Um, so today we are here with Ben Kettle, yes. the sole, <laughs> sole proprietor, sole proprietor, El Presidente, um, what are you, janitor, Jan um, all of it, you name it, a great yeah. growth. So we appreciate you coming out. Thank you. Um, first question, uh, what are we sipping on? Oh, Dennis, I'm so glad you asked. We are sipping on ranch waters, which these aren't, no offense if you enjoy such a thing, but these are not the canned hard seltzer wannabes. These are the OG ranch waters. So it is Mexican sparkling water, uh, tequila, lime, and it's a special treat. I made some honey jalapeno syrup last night and put a little bit of that in there too. Ooh, oh, so that's a, a little, treat. Get a little hot and get a little hot, get a little sweet. That's the honey jalapeno. I was wondering what that other mixture you were putting in there was. Yeah, don't don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> Highly <laughs> confidential. Yeah, and it's much better than the wannabes. As a fan of the wannabes, I actually like this yeah, better. Yeah, so and, right, and, and like my no disrespect, my wife and I, you know, we're in a pinch. Kids are rubbing up against us. You know, it's a Tuesday night. We don't have the ingredients. We have ample wannabes, mm. but you know, I didn't want to. Show any disrespect. Yes, <laughs> got you. you got you. It makes sense. So now, now, where does this come from? When's when's the first time you had this? Uh, I I got really into them when I lived in Austin, Texas. I did grad school at um, the real UT, UT Austin, oh. and and, and uh, you know Austin's a very hot place. And so if you're doing some porch sitting, it's not uncommon in the summertime to to make some of these. So we would just you know hang out at enjoy the 110 degree temps watch our grass die and drink ranch waters that's pretty much what we're doing right now in tennessee yeah, watching our grass die and tis the season drinking something, something staying so. hydrated <laughs> yeah that's awesome so you mentioned austin is that where you're from originally i uh, know i grew up um kind of all over the southeast but primarily in huntsville so just down the road from us here yeah i went to huntsville high school i'm a proud crimson panther okay never heard of them <laughs> well well that's yeah that's normal yeah. So from from Huntsville, how do you get to Austin? Kind of tell us a little bit about. Oh man, your quite journey. the journey. So um, I uh, decided pretty on early on in high school, I was going to go to the best college that would accept me, and so I ended up getting an early decision to a school called Davidson. It's in Davidson, North Carolina, just on the road from Charlotte. Uh, most famous for Steph Curry. So you may have heard of him. Um, recently won an NBA championship. Bell. Yeah, yeah, he's. Good dude. Just graduated from Davidson this year, actually. So congrats, Steph. And then, um, yeah, I, I ended up moving out west to Wyoming for a couple of years. So I was in Jackson, Wyoming for two years. Moved to Bozeman, Montana for a year. Uh, D.C., uh, Washington, D.C. Um, met a girl there. She got transferred to Austin. Um, we decided to do long distance uh, for a year. It was a great year of long distance. I tell people if your long distance is good, then like, you have a strong relationship. And so I ended up moving to Austin just because I'd go visit her and I loved it. And I got into UT Austin uh, business school. And so, yeah, that's how I ended up there. And it was supposed to just be a couple of years and we really liked it. And we were there for like six, seven years. 
Wow. So when you're kind of doing the, the, the Western tour, are you like yeah. couch surfing or are you working through this whole time? Um, no, I worked. I worked hard. Uh, so when I, when I moved out to Jackson, I had never really been in the Rockies, which is a little weird because I love them so much now and make a point of going out there quite you know, several times a year. But I, I was just like, you know, I'm, I, I like big mountains. I know that much. I like snow. You know, I like that kind of challenge of that environment. And, you know, got out there and, and ended up, this is an interesting story. So, I mean, had no money. Like, I'd, I'd worked commercial construction all the summer before after I graduated. And all my friends are going off to, like, you know, fancy law schools or their investment banking, you know, internships or whatever. And I'm working commercial. I'm literally tying steel at a commercial construction site in Madison, Alabama, right? So I say I have some money. I move out there with some friends. And we're working temp jobs. And because I had tied steel all summer, I had, like, commercial construction experience. So I go into the temp place. And they're like, oh, we'll put you on building this Four Seasons. They're, they were building the Four Seasons Jackson Hole. And so, you know, I got out there. I was making – they paid pretty well for a temp gig. I was sound caulking the ballroom. It took me, like, several weeks. Me and my buddy that I moved out there with, one of my buddies. And one day I'm walking down the hall, and this dude stops me. And, like, I've been, like – I'm covered in, like, construction dust. Like, I, there's nothing impressive about me. And this dude looks at me and goes, hey, man, what's your story? And I thought he was just, like, a foreman. I was like, oh, I'm Ben. I'm a temp worker. I've been sound caulking the ballroom. He goes, well, I'm the GM of this place, and we're doing a hiring fair in two weeks. What are you doing this winter? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, this place is going to be done. I'm, I'm going to be out of a job. He's like, well, you know, we'll help you buy a pass, and, like, you just come to the hiring fair. And so that GM um, ended up, like, talking me into working the Four Seasons. So I, I waited tables, basically, at night. So he, he thought your caulking skills were mad. He was desperate for people. <laughs> it, 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 I thought it was, first sound, one sounds better no, for the record. caulking but, uh, skills was just no, real mad. We'll so go with desperation. Yeah, yeah he, I mean, he, you know, you think about a hotel that size. It's a big hotel. And so it was, you know, I'll be candid. Like, it was an amazing experience. Like, I would wake up late if the snow was bad, really early if the snow was good. I'd make my way out to the mountain or to the pass, which is where all the backcountry skiing is. And, like, you know, do that all day. And then I had to be on shift at four. They fed you. They did your laundry for your uniform. So I'd, like, literally drop my skis at 345 because they had on-site ski storage for employees. I'd, like, run, pick up my uniform, put it on real quick, shower, put it on, go to the, you know, little cafeteria, jam food down my throat, right? And I'd be upstairs at 4.30 to start my shift. And, you know, I'd be waiting on billionaires in many cases. Like, it was a surreal experience. You know, and, I, and, of course, like, I look back on it. You know, I'm 22, 23. I, like, have clear raccoon eyes from my goggles and the tan, particularly in the spring. You know, like, I'm just, like, a bro. Like, I am a ski bum bro who, like, knows how to tie a tie. And, you know, and you got a guy that's worth, you know, $200 million going, well, what wine do you recommend? Like, buddy, like, I, I've never had a bed frame. Like, <laughs> like, like, like I, I buy, like, not coarse light if I'm splurging, <laughs> you know? It's just like one of those, but I ended up getting really good at it. It was a great experience because it like really taught you like how to interact with all, you know, particularly in my case, like people that, you know, were crazy, crazy successful. The coolest guys were the bodyguards 
So occasionally you'd have guests who had bodyguards with them all like 24-7, but the bodyguards wouldn't sit with them. So they'd be like at a table, and then you'd have like you know, four feet away at two top with like their bodyguards. And the bodyguards were the coolest dudes. They were always like, ask me which one of the waitresses were single, if I'd introduce them. They'd like <laughs> ask me if I wanted to come out with them on like their one night out. And I'd be like, yeah, you guys are too. Like, no. Like, I'm a 22-year-old and I'm an idiot, but I know not to party with you guys. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, Probably you know, a good decision on your part. Yeah. So I, I did that. I worked there. And then for, I did that for two years and then ended up getting a job in Montana working for a guy long, long story there, but I drove it to Montana. Um, I met him through his daughter. He did affordable housing development in Bozeman and, and he needed some help because he was getting all this consulting work. And so he's like, why don't you drive up here? You can stay at our house and then you can come to the office with me the next day and I'll kind of talk you through what I need and, you know, see if you're the guy for the job. So I drive up there. Um, we are getting ready to go to bed. His, his wife, was lovely he like he was there obviously we finished dinner and the house starts shaking so there's an earthquake like the, I, I i just met these people i'm about to interview with them the next morning and like we're in an earthquake together like luckily it wasn't too bad instant bonding yeah, yeah instant <laughs> yeah. bonding right yeah yeah so i all the next day i spent with him and he was basically like look what are you making now waiting tables and i was actually making great money because you know i'm selling tips and, and stuff. he had a little yeah. fast yeah yeah, like I'm selling like, you know, $500 bottles of wine, right? Like, and I was like, you know, here's what I'm making. He's like, well, I'll pay you a third of that, but I'll teach you how to do like financial modeling. I'll teach you about like how, you know, land development works. And I said, mm, deal. Did like, you have any interest in that before? Yeah, I did. I, I, I just thought it was like, I thought it was cool. I thought it was an interesting problem. And, and I knew I was ready to leave when... I remember very vividly um, my first winter out there. It was like a nice day, but the snow wasn't good. And it was like in March. And I was like, you know, I could go ski or I could go to the library and like find an interesting book to read. And I go to the library and ended up literally checking out. I mean, I don't know what compelled me to do this. Uh, econ textbook. And I read it that day. Like I like, absorbed it you know like and i was like man my brain is starved like i love it out here it's like physically demanding and challenging i've got a good like life going but like i can't do it forever and so i i knew i wanted just something more like challenging like that and so i, I couldn't turn down that offer you know, those in, those environments that you're in are kind of i mean motivating right i mean you're waiting tables for guys and gals worth 200 million dollars exactly like part of your subconscious has to be like how do I get there? Like, how do I get an ounce? Well, I would of that? ask. Like, them. what do I? Yeah, and so I mean, that's kind of got to get the wheels turning a little bit, right? And yeah, feed that a little bit. Like, I so I remember very vividly. There's this couple. I wish I could remember their names, but it was a husband and wife. They had two little boys who were probably around like eight and ten, I'll say. And and they they owned like a, a place there, so they would come down. Like they would come several times a winter. Uh, he was a huge skier, and we knew it. We knew he was legit. He wasn't like there as a tourist. He was like there doing the real stuff that we were doing. And he, he usually charged to his room, but one day they were checking out and he charged it to his black card. It was, and you guys remember back in the day, like an Amex black card was like a big deal. They were yeah. metal. You could feel them. I was like, oh, this guy. I think you had to have a minimum of 250K or something to get one even to qualify. 
And so I was like, God, I was like, man, like, I hope you don't mind me asking, but like, you just paid with the black card. You seem like a good dude. And he's probably like 45, right? Like, close to my age now. It's like, like, what's up? What's your story? And he was like, oh, he's like, I'm glad you asked. Like, you know, I went to like Colby College. New, you know, I, I was a ski bum in Squall, so out in Northern California. I had a buddy who got like, you know, from school who was in San Francisco doing internet stuff in the late 90s. And like, I started, like, I got a job like doing whatever and kind of worked my way up and made some decent money before the crash. And like, I'm still in it. Like, I have a fun now. I was like, oh, like, wait, so I can screw off like, like you did and like still end up okay? And he was like, yeah, like, it's pretty great. So he has a fund now. William might not understand what that is. Can you explain what a fund is? <laughs> I, I could. Uh, <laughs> um, but so anyway, yeah, that was like, and so like that kind of got the wheels turning for me, like initially to be like, okay. And then being in Bozeman, something like 60% of all the income in Bozeman is mailbox money or something. Someone told me, I guess, when I lived there. And I was like, I'm not going to get a job here where like that's like that's a thing I can do I have to get back to a city and my boss at the time was like yeah if you really want to like learn stuff you got to go to like a hyper competitive city and so DC I had a bunch of friends in DC and just moved there and that's when you started working for yeah that was in the earthquake yeah so the earthquake guy was like hey if you really want to make it you need to go to a city and I had a friend that just happened to get married and I went to that wedding and saw a bunch of my old college buddies I was like, you know, maybe, like, okay, like, my, you know, like, I like what I'm doing. I need, but I, like, I, I need to be in a city, and not for nothing. At the time, it's changed a ton, but at the time, there were maybe ten dudes for every single girl. I think I went a whole year without talking to a girl who wasn't wearing a hoodie. And it was just like, I am not going to find a mate out here. <laughs> like, this is, Sounds like a great city. Yeah, it's like, you know, you're 22, 23, 24. It's like, uh, you know, I had a girlfriend for a while out there. That didn't work out. But, like, it was, you know, it's like, okay, I'm ready to, like, get going and, like, have a career. So I was what just type of work her. were you doing in D.C. then? So, <laughs> so this is another kind of good one. So I moved to D.C. I had some, a bunch of money saved up. And... Uh, a mentor of mine from growing up in Huntsville, a guy named Doug Martinson, um, he still runs Martinson and Beast in a law firm, had another guy he was friends with who was in D.C. working for a big consulting company called uh, Bearing Point. Um, it's since folded. It was famous for sponsoring Phil Mickelson uh, way back in the day. But he was like, hey, Andrew's in D.C. You should meet him. Like, he's just, you guys are hit it off. So I call him up. I'm like, hey, I'm Ben. I'm friends with Doug. Like, let's go out and get some drinks. We go out, and I don't know what got into us, but we got after it. And during the course of the conversation, he's like, dude, what have you been doing in Montana? I'm like, well, I've been doing these financial modeling for this you know, real estate guy and learning about affordable housing and land codes and how it works and construction draws and all this stuff. He's like, dude, we have like a group that would love you. I like know those guys. You know, I'll send them your resume. I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And so we ended up tying one on. What woke me up the next morning was a call from the recruiter of that group. So Andrew had woken up, sent my resume to them, and they called me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, I mean, total, like, talk about right place, right time. Just like the GM of the Four Seasons, like, just, hey, man, what are you up to? Yeah. Um, So that guy, so 
I get a call from this recruiter. I go into interview. I have to go interview at a top secret facility with a team, this consulting team that's advising immigration and customs enforcement on their real estate strategies. So it's like, I, I mean, talk about impo- I, I was like, what am I doing? Like, I'm a year removed from like really being a hardcore ski bomb. And like, here I am, like putting on a suit and tie, going into downtown DC, like this top secret facility. Well, I forgot my ID. Mm. So I get there and they're like, ID, please. I'm like, yeah, I don't have it. They had to go call the guy who's interviewing me, get him to come out. He's like, well, I can't interview you inside. Let's go for a walk. Wow. The one time you interview at a top secret facility. Well, I, I don't forgot, know. No, knowing you, ID. maybe there's more top secret no, that, facilities. That, that was my first. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> Forget your ID. But And he and I ended up hitting it off. I ended up working there for uh, three years. I got in really tight with the client. Um, the client was this very interesting woman. And her and I became friends. And lots of stories. I mean, that whole period of my life, I look back on it, and I cannot believe I did what I did. Um, but I really endeared myself to her because for some strange reason, when they were doing my top secret background check, I got through that check in like record time. Like usually it took like months. It took me like two weeks. So like, I, and I don't know how. Like they sent like investigators out to interview all my ski bum buddies and my college friends. And like even people I had grown up with would call me and be like, yo, the like some investigator just talked to me about you and was asking if like you knew Al-Qaeda. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and I'll like, do. and I did a three hour interview with the former FBI investigator, you know, and all this stuff to get my top secret clearance, but it happened in two weeks. And so she loved me for some reason because I'm like produ- productive. Anyway, I did that for three years and that's actually where I met my wife, Amy. So I was advising detentions and removal and my wife was advising Office of Investigations. And... It was, uh, again, super bizarro. I can't believe I did. I, I would look back and be like, I cannot believe a year ago I was, like, eating bolognese, sitting on the floor with my German roommate in Bozeman, and now I'm, like, preparing reports for the Department of Homeland Security, you know? That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. Did Amy have a hoodie on when you met her? No, she looked great. I still, <laughs> I still remember what she was wearing the first day we met. She was, like, you know, she was 24, maybe. She was super young. I was yeah. at 26. Yeah, so she would have been 24. And, um, yeah, it's just a pretty wild experience. And, and I learned a ton about government and how government works. And I met, worked really, really closely with a lot of these people that, you know, frankly, you know, put their lives on the line and made, had to make hard decisions. I have a ton of respect for really anyone in government now. I also know that there's a lot of people in government that are, you know, not good. But the good ones are great because they're, like, pulling on a dead weight. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So from D.C., how, how do you get uh, to Austin then? Is that, is that your next move? Yeah, so I got, it was pretty clear to me that I wasn't going to live in D.C. the rest of my life. I just didn't love, like, wearing a suit every day and, like, consulting stuff. Because, like, we were doing good work, but it wasn't, like, it wasn't us on the line. You know what I mean? And so I was kind of looking to make my next move, and I was, you know, applying to business schools. And um, Amy, through this program at Bearing Point, got transferred to Austin. And this is, like, before Austin was, like, you know, capital A Austin. So right? what year was this? This, was a, this would have been um, 9, 08, 09. 
So a great financial crisis time frame. And I was like, you know, I went down to visit her. We did this year long distance. And I was like, I really like this town. It's a good mix of the things I like. It's, it, there's like lots of outdoorsy stuff to do, but like, I feel like I can make a career here. Right. There's a good school. And, um, so yeah, just basically, you know, saved a bunch of money. Um, I quit my job. This is wild. I quit my job two months after the bottom of the stock market during the great financial crisis. I remember like looking at the Dow and it was like down like around 6,000 or something and be like, you have got to be insane to quit your well-paying secure job in this market. But like who knows when this stuff's coming back. Right. But I did. Scary time. That's okay. <laughs> I, worked AIG. I worked for AIG for a minute during that time. So it was, Oh yeah. It's yeah. The Eric knows. What I'm talking. Yeah. It, it, I mean, and I had friends losing jobs left and right. And, you know, I, I, candidly, I felt like a dick. It's like, man, like, there's a lot of people that would kill to be in this position. What made you come to that decision? I just knew end? it was kind of now. And like, yeah. at a certain point, you got to rip the bandaid off. And, like, it's never going to be perfect, right? And, and I also don't need much, like, to be happy. I mean, times have changed a bit now that we have kids and, you know, all that. Mm-hmm. But, like, I was like, you know, my dad, had, around that time period, I was thinking, I was telling him about what I was thinking about doing. And my dad's very old school. I mean, he graduated college early to go into banking. He's been in banking ever since. He just retired. But, like, he was, you know, this super long banking career, very by the book. And he was like, look, Ben, you're the type of guy, it's like, I could strip you naked and drop you in the middle of Afghanistan, and you'd find a way to survive. I was like, okay, yeah. Like, I can do this, and it's not a big deal. It ended up being a really, I, 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 that was one of the smartest moves I think I've ever done. It was like just, just getting out of the, just getting out of DC and being yeah. like, I'm starting from scratch. I know more about me and what I'm about. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go pursue it. And that was 2009, 2008. Yeah, that was 2009 is when I left. So I drove down. Um, I literally dropped all my stuff off in a self storage locker in Austin, spent a week with Amy, and then uh, I flew to Portland, Oregon. Because I had three friends, uh, all of who had been old ski buddies of mine, who are going to ride bikes across the country. And so I was like, hey, there's the four of us. And we raised a bunch of money for um, a group called Project Rwanda. And we rode our bikes across the country that summer. And then we finished. And I flew back to Austin and was like, all right, got to figure out the rest of my life. How long did that take you? 45 days. 45 days. 45 days. How many miles a day? Uh, I think we averaged over 90. 90 wow. miles a day. I lost 45 pounds. <laughs> Where did you lose it from? I mean, well, I, get, I bulked up because I knew. Oh, oh. Okay. I knew. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was, like, I, I like, lifted a lot, of, a lot of weights. That was a wild experience, too. That was really fun. 45 but that, days. But that experience, so w- my job was, you know, we were, we were doing this trip, and, like, we all kind of, like, separated, divvied up the responsibilities. And we knew we wanted to, like, raise money, right, when we did it. And so this is, like, again, like, the Internet and, like, social media were just becoming a thing, right? The Internet's already a thing, but, like, social media was just becoming a thing. And so I was like, oh, I'll, like, play with this and see if we can, like, raise money and see who I can meet. And, you know, I'll join Twitter, which is, like, you know, I'm, like, one of the first people on Twitter, I think. And anyway, I really enjoyed that part of it. And I was, like, cold calling potential sponsors, and, like, some of them went for it. I was like, this is nuts. Like, 
and the, and so at when I when I moved to Austin, I knew I wanted to do something that was like a little bit more like scrappy, where I'd have to like go on a limb. And I knew I wanted to do something where I didn't have to wear a suit. And those are the only two things I knew when I moved there. And what was that? What would I end up doing? Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up meeting this guy that had a cupcake stand. He had three locations. His name was Wes Hurt. Um, I think I, yeah, you guys may have heard about him before. But Wes and I, I meet him, and he's like, he's like, look, I got this cupcake stand. I want to grow it. I think it'd be huge. This is like before food trailers were really a thing. You guys remember like the, that's a very much a like 2010, 11, 12, 13 thing, where like food, food trailer parks and all that. I mean, they're still around, but. And so he's like, hey man, why don't you come help me grow this thing? And I was like, cool. Um, I'm, I'm doing grad school, you know, here at UT Austin soon. And like, if you're flexible, you can make work. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, I can only really pay you for the first month. So your first job is to figure out how to make enough revenue enough profit from that revenue to where I can afford to pay you any kind of salary. I mean, I'm not like, not like 20 K, but like anything. And so it just so happened that after I went to work for him, the next, I think was the next weekend I started grad school or the next Friday I started grad school. The very first class I had was marketing. We talked about pricing and there's this whole thing on, you know, price, like pricing is like a whole realm, right? But basically if you can increase prices by X percent, and keep your costs the same, then like your profit goes up by like much more. And I was like, oh. So literally that Monday, I get back into the Hey Cupcake office and I call up our sign guy and I ask for um, some 75 cent stickers. So the cupcakes were either $2 or $2.25. And I made them all $2.75. That was my first move. And that paid my salary for the rest of my time. <laughs> So That's you increased it 50 cents? 50 cents a cupcake, and that paid my salary. And Wes was like, and it had no, like, there was no price sensitivity. Like, sales actually went up. And so, like, Wes was like, all right, well, I got to hand it to you. Like, that's how you're paying yourself. So what is it about, so this GM, you're caulking a ballroom. Yeah, yeah. GM, John Dutton takes a chance on you next. <laughs> yeah. John Dutton, yeah. Then you're in D.C. <laughs> like, there's just, there's this recurring theme where people are just willing to take a chance on you and you're willing to take a chance too. Like what, like, have you ever sat back and kind of looked at that trajectory? I mean, like, look, I, I candidly, I think part of this is I'm like a friendly white dude. Like I come across as like pretty non-threatening. I think I come across as like intelligent enough. Um, you know, I, I think part of it too is like when I'm in the mood to be opportunistic, I'm very opportunistic and I'm not afraid to say no. And I've got, um, I recognize this now in, in hindsight, but like I'm very curious about like why people make the decisions they make. And if I have enough time with someone, I'm going to figure those things out. I think people appreciate that, right? Um, and like I'm not afraid, like I, I actually said this to a group I consult with, like I'm not afraid just to cold call someone. Be like, hey, man, I really like this thing you're doing. Like tell me how you're doing it, right? And, like, that gets a good response, Yeah, you know? So when you're making these decisions, how do you do you mitigate risk at all? Like, I mean, there's obviously a risk that you take. Is that part of your, your thought process, or is it yeah, just, like? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, part of it is, like, reduce your expenses as close to zero as possible, right? So, like, I remember towards the end of my time in D.C., I was like, I want to save more money. So a buddy of mine was like, hey, my parents have to go live in Toronto for six months. 
And so my house in Bethesda, Maryland is going to be empty. I'm going to be living there with my brother. I realized like your commute now is four times longer, but you want to come live with me? We have a pool. And I'm like, sold. Yeah, sold. Like I'll go live with you and like save that money on rent. Right. Like I just, you know, I had this rule up until Amy and I got married that if I had moved, all my worldly possessions could fit in a, a car. So I just like light and fast, man, light and fast. And like, that's, that's one way to mitigate risk. I was good at saving. So I remember when I lived in DC and in, in, in Austin for years, I used to track the exact amount of money I needed to survive a day all in. So I'd write down all my expenses Write it by the number of days in the month for that month and like try to figure out like, okay, you know, it's whatever, it's 50 bucks a day all in. How can I get it to 40? How can I get it to 30? You know? And like not really like dramatically impact my lifestyle. Interesting. So, so like that's, that's hard. I mean, cause like, what am I responsible for? I even have a dog, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, like most of that stuff I love to do. I mean, I love riding my bike. That's expensive. But, like, you know, I'd already, that stuff was already paid for. I didn't have a car in D.C. I didn't have one in um, Austin for a long, long time, you know? So what do you do now with kids? Because they're expensive. I mean, that's got to <laughs> Well, now i got to make a lot more wild. money, Dennis. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's really the short answer, right? And, like, we've spent, I mean, you know, like, you, you know about our house and renovations, everything. You know, it's, you have to build a bigger cushion, and, and Amy and I had this conversation before we got married. I was like, look, here's the deal. You crave security. You crave process, all that good stuff. I'm not that way. So here's the deal. You, you, like, do the thing where you get 3% raise a year, and every four years you get promoted, and, like, your health benefits are always really great. But I'm going to take some cuts. I'm going to take some swings. And, and to date, that has served us both very well. Because, like, she feels secure. You know, if I got hit by a bus, we could, like, live on her income for a long, long time. Um, I feel good because I get to take these swings. And candidly, financially, it's worked out in her favor, like, pretty overwhelmingly, right? Um, so it's, it's like, just different strategies for it, right? Yeah. I never, like, I've, I've never let a, I've never missed a credit card payment, right? Like, just trying to be smart about it. And yeah, unfortunate, like timing wise, I've done a lot. Like we bought in Austin at the perfect time. We bought in Nashville at the perfect time. Right. Like, Some of that is luck. Yeah. It's just lucky. Yeah, like I mean, I've been smart, really lucky. I mean, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, when I lived in DC, we lived in this great row house, me and two other guys. And the owner calls me up one day. This is what I'm thinking about moving. And he's like, Hey man, we're putting the house on the market. Now, to give you guys some context of this neighborhood, um, this was not a place people went probably a year before we moved in. It was like hardcore, like edge of the city. Now it's like, you know, God knows. It's probably like Lululemon's every 20 minutes, every 20 <laughs> feet. But like, and he was like, hey, we're thinking about selling the place and we're going to sell it. You know, we were going we to ask 660, but I know you love the place. Are you interested in buying it? And my sister at the time had moved to D.C. and she wasn't living there. She wasn't living with me, but she was living in the city. And we went out to dinner and I was like, hey, I'm leaving to go follow Amy. But if you're in, like, I have some money saved up. We could, like, buy this place 
and then you could rent it out to your friends and be like the landlord, right? And like, I think it's going to blow up. And she was like, yeah, I think so too, but like, that's a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we didn't buy it for 660, but two years later, that same piece of property sold for 1.2 million. And then like three or four years after that, it sold for 2.1, 2.2. So like, I've missed stuff too, right? Like, but you know, that was a prudent decision. Like it was too risky. Yeah, and I was like, calculated risk. Yeah, yeah. like I was like, I'm moving to Austin. I don't have a job. I'm starting grad school. I'm about to take those student loans. Like, I think it's cool just being in a position to make that decision for yourself instead of a hard no. I can't afford it. I've got nobody. Well, yeah. you made that decision on your own. It was a calculated decision for you to move on. But I was in the position to, to at least entertain it. Exactly. Yeah, and, and my and my sister, like I knew my sister wanted to buy property, right? And like she had, a, like she was starting her career. She's a couple years younger, and so. It's like, like, how much do you have saved up? It's like, oh, I got this. I'm like, I got this. And we could, like, maybe scrounge it together. And, like, you know, we could, you know, I could dip into my 401k or whatever. I don't know. Like, we, we, like, we like, did the math. And we, like, had a napkin. You know, we're like, all right, let's do this. Like, what would rent be? And, you know. Yeah. I just wanted to go un- unnoticed, though, that, I mean, we, it's like that whole preparation meets opportunity, I think, unless I'm pulling mm-hmm. that out of thin air. You yeah. did the right, you made the right decisions along the way so that when, DC came up when Austin came up, like you felt like you could take those risks. I'm just pointing out yeah, yeah. a lot of people don't even put themselves in that position because of the decisions they make leading up yeah. to that point to act on it. Yeah. And, and again, I really don't want to take out luck. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's yeah, in there. But. You know, like, I mean, I, we, we've talked about it before, but when I, so last year, a little over a year ago, May 2021, I guess this was, yeah, you know, I got laid off. And the team, like, my team had been doing awesome. And I'd also just bought a brand new car that I was going to pay cash for. We had broken, excuse me, we had broken ground on renovations for, major renovations for our house two months earlier, right? Like, we are staring down a mountain of debt. We had this huge cash thing happening. Like, I'm about to buy this car. And, like, I don't have a job, Right? And then literally, I, so I found out I was going to lose my job on a Sunday. My boss called me on a Sunday. Or I called her, and then she called me back on a Sunday. That Monday, I got three phone calls from friends, people that I'd worked with in the past, being like, yo, man, what are you up to? Do you have time to, like, consult on stuff? Three. And all three of them became clients. And they're, and they're clients now. And so it's just like, you know, like, I can't, like, I can't script that. They had no idea I'd been laid off. None. And like, like, well, actually, uh, what do you need? Yeah, I've got some time now. <laughs> Turns out yeah, it's okay. like, I'd love to help you out. Thanks for calling, you know? Um, so what, what kind of consulting is this? Like, what are you doing now? So uh, I'm mostly, you know, most of my work. So it's funny. We talked about like the early, early days. But in the in-between time of like Austin and now, I've done a lot of product and sales. So I started out. My first big boy job after the cupcakes was at a startup. I was a second sales guy. I did really well. Was there for four and a half, five years. Moved into product. Did product here in Nashville for a number of years at a, at a couple of different places. And then went back into sales last time. That's when I was laid off. And so it's all, I, I thought, I, product consulting is just, I don't have a passion for it. Like it's very like framework and it's very like, People come in like, hey, here's your discovery questions and here's how you build products. Sales consulting is much more like 
it just feels more natural and like in my blood. And so it's like, okay, most of my clients are like, we're trying to double, triple 10 X revenue. Like, what do we do? And I go in and, and most of the time it's this mix of like strategy. Um, I'd say it's really three things. It's strategy. Okay. Like what strategically do we need, do we need to do to get there? Right. The second thing is like, do we have the discipline to get there? Right. Like, because a lot of times you kind of know what you need to do, but it's just having the discipline to do it. And sometimes you just need a third party to come in and be like, hey, like every week we're going to talk about this and we're going to hold each other accountable. And I say the third thing is, is similar to the second and with discipline, but it's like helping people figure out what they need to do, right? Okay, we want a 10x revenue. Let's work backwards and figure out, okay, can we get enough leads to 10x revenue? Do we have capacity? right? Um, usually the answer to both those questions is no, right? It's like, what do we need to expand into, right? It's like, what are some other channels we can do to get leads? What are some things we can do to automate our process? What are some inefficiencies that we can take out of our current process? What are we not talking about, right? How does the market see us? Like, let's really get in our customer's shoes. So it's a lot of that kind of work. And I'm, I've been shocked since I started doing this a year plus ago, how often it's just like, the answer's in the organization, but it's like, it's just maybe like someone needs to organize, or it's like going to Eric and Dennis, right? And like, Eric, what's your perspective on this? Okay, that's cool. Dennis, what's your perspective on this? Okay, well, you guys are really similar in these things, but like, you know, Dennis is saying this, Eric is saying this, like, who's right, who's wrong? Are they both right, right? Like, so it's, th that's really primarily my work. And, and one thing I've found is, like, so much of it now is just, like, more, like, time, right, with my clients and, like, talking through it. And, like, I don't crawl into a hole as much as I used to and, like, build models and spreadsheets. It's like, okay, let's talk, like, what that customer say? Is that interesting? Is that different? Do we really know how they buy, right? Like, who's the decision maker? Like, you know, it's just, it's, like, a lot of that. What's your time frame when you work with a new client? You mean like like time wise, like six months, a year, eighteen months? So it's funny. I I'm more like because I tend to be like I'm less strategic and more on implementation. It, I feel like just naturally, um, all my clients own a retainer right now. Mm. So it's you know I've I have it's it, it in a lot of ways they're paying for for discipline, and in and in some cases I mean they would tell you and actually one of them I talked to yesterday about this. He will tell you it's insight and discipline. I think it's way more discipline than insight. Discipline, how so? Like, let's say, let's say that Dennis is a sales rep at a company I'm advising, and like he knows what to do. Like he's been well, like trained well enough, kind of knows. But like, he wakes up with a hangover, or he can't sleep one That's night. About right. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <for> that. <laughs> or, or whatever, right? And it's like it's really easy to let that little stuff slide. Like, he knows he needs to make, let's, let's call it 10 call, cold calls a day. But the kid's sick, right? And so he can't do it. But he just doesn't do the 10 that day. And the next day, he, like, knows he should know, you know someone's thought process and decision criteria. But he's on the phone with them, and he doesn't ask. And he's like, ah, well, you know, it was probably the same as the last one. So it's just like, at a very granular level, that's what I mean by discipline. 
at a more kind of like company-wide strategic level, it's the CEO going to like a sales leader or to the VP of marketing and being like, hey, your leads are down 80% this quarter and our sales are down 80% this quarter. It's like, what's the plan? Okay, here's the plan. Let's talk through how it's going to work. Let's like have checkpoints. You know, it's just a lot of that. That's really what I mean. Like, just like, it's really easy just to do the day-to-day, right? Like fall into the rut. And it's, it's just like um, the example I always use is like I played, I played football in high school. I lifted weights. I lifted weights in college. I lift weights now. But like when I have a coach or someone putting together a plan for me, I, I don't have to think about it. They hold me accountable. Like I just get to like do the thing, right? And like I know I'm accountable to that person. And they're going to text me and say, hey, did you do this? Did you do this? And it's like I know what to do. I know, like, I could design these plans if I sat down for an hour. Like, you know, I don't. It's funny to me whether you're uh, somebody like us or whoever closing two deals a month or two billion a month, like mega corporations, right? It's the yeah. same problems at the yeah. end of the day. It's just at what scale yeah. are we talking? Just because they've got CEOs and CFOs doesn't mean that they have it all figured out and things just come along without any effort or coaching or accountability from you know, somebody I, like yourself. I, I I'm with you there, Eric. I mean, I, it's funny. I have a CEO, one of my clients now, who's really challenging me. You know, this guy's been running, he's had the company for a decade, uh, brought in some outside capital, and he's really challenging me. He's like, what are standards of performance? And, like, part of me is like, dude, you know, you've been doing them for 10 years, but he's like, his whole thing is like, but, like, I've never had a leader like you helping me with this, right? And you know that your job is to, like, motivate and set high goals and help the team hit them. And you have time and energy to focus on that. I don't, right? And they, so he's been pushing me. It's been this really interesting, because, like, I'm, I'm rarely in that seat now, right? But it is this really interesting, like, you know, he's working on it at his level, right? He's now, like, having me work on it at like a sales team level and now I'm going down to the sales team level and I'm doing it. And you almost need like all three of those things to be working because if he wasn't holding me accountable or no one was holding him accountable, right? Like nothing would happen further down, right? So it's like, yeah, it is. It's just like you guys. Like you guys have your businesses, right? Um, You know, I don't have to tell you like the real estate market, the mortgage market has had some bumps in the road lately, right? And you get this choice that can be an excuse, and it's pretty daggum good one. Or you can be like, okay, what do like what habits do I need to change to adapt to this new reality, right? And it's the same thing that you know a lot of startups are having conversations. Startups are trying to have like, hey, capital used to be cheap and easy. Now it's not. Like, what what do we need to change from a discipline perspective? We need to prioritize from a discipline perspective to make sure we survive whatever this thing that we're going into or in ends up being. That's golden. My my mom just called and checked on me this morning, you know, because like you hear all the, <laughs> the real estate news and the market and in the in the media and everything, and it's like all you can do is focus on what you can control. Put your head down, work, yeah, do what you know market. can. Yeah, what you can control, you can't control the rest but, of it. Just try to be the best you can be given the, the circumstances. The bottom line is, there's someone doing what you're doing who isn't making that excuse. Like, that's the bottom line. 
And so you can, and like some, like I'll be honest, ninety percent of the things in my life, I am more than willing to make excuses for. Like I just do not have the time, energy, brain power to figure it out. But like that ten percent that you do really care about, at least prof- and and I mean this like from a mostly from a professional setting. Like you gotta you gotta nail it, right? And you gotta be like, this is the thing, this is the thing, this is the thing, and it's it's just. Yeah, it's it's really weird. That that I did not think. I don't think I'm a very good consultant because that's how I'm oriented. Most consultants tend to be like strategic. They give you a binder. Thank you very much, right? And um, and so it's 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 weird. I think my clients like that I'm more like no, like yeah, strategically, it's kind of easy to figure out what we need to do. You can Google that. We can, yeah. <laughs> There's frameworks, right? Like, you know. Just processes, right? Like, what's the process? The way harder thing is implementation. It's like, implementation. you know, yeah, like, ideas are a dime a dozen. Mm-hmm. Like, how many people have said they wanted to start a podcast? I mean, we've talked to a lot since we've started this. Yeah. So we've always wanted to do that. Yeah. But like, how many people yeah. actually, like, go find Brian? Go, like, like take the time out of their day. I mean, I, I assume you guys spend money producing this, right? Yeah. Like, and I think it took us, it took us a good solid year mm-hmm. to sit down over coffee or drinks trying to prepare mm-hmm. how we're going to do this. So yeah, you're exactly right. And then but implementation. Yeah, like mm-hmm. but what ten percent of people? I mean, I have like three different friend groups. Like we should do a podcast. Like no one wants to hear me on a podcast. <laughs> we don't care if anyone wants to hear us or not. We're here. We're doing <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, we hope people care in all sincerity. But, but, like it's, but like you do care. Like it's it's one of those things. Like you don't. Like I I went through this when I started writing about talent. So I, I have a newsletter and I write about talent and talent evaluation. Something I'm really passionate about. Worked on a lot when I was in product and sales, like previous roles, and I'm I'm doing it now with clients with their hiring. And it's like I was so scared to like have a take on something. Like I'm a white, fairly lucky, middle like upper middle class, middle aged dude. No one is going to give a shit what I have to say about this. And I started talking to people, and like half my friends are like, "Hey, how do you hire? Like, how do you like interview a salesperson? Or how do you like think about product when you're evaluating someone? How can you evaluate if someone's good at product?" And I had one too many of those conversations. Like, you know what? If the, if the thing that I'm known for is caring about how we evaluate talent, then, like, because I've been lucky, right? Like, I've had these people evaluate me, and, like, I've gotten these amazing opportunities. Like, if I'm known as a guy that cares about how we think about talent and, like, wants to pull, strip all the, like, ego and BS out of how we think about who we work with, like, I'm okay with that. Like, if that's in my tombstone, that's okay. And if no one reads it, that's okay. Right, at least I'm like trying to change. I'm trying to push the ball a little bit, mm-hmm. you know. And I just think that so, it, like for me, it took 40 years to get over that hump. Mm-hmm. Right, alone. Yeah. And there's like I just like I was like, can I? I can't imagine being 70 and never having made a run at this. Like that's like that's the loss. Not having four subscribers, right? Like four four subscribers is great. Like there's four people that like. Will text me about what I write. I have more than four, but not that many. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> um, but I, yeah, I, I think like again, it's like this like defaulting to execution, like the strategy you pick up, right? You you're in the world enough, you read enough, 
you're curious enough, like, you have smart friends, they'll help you out with it. But I like your point of <coughs> taking that, I say risk, but just saying, hey, I'm going to get my point of view out there, right? I have an expertise, right? In, in That's this. a great, great word. And I just want to say, hey, I, I'm going to I'm gonna tell people what that is um, and not being scared of what people think about it um, because people are always going to think something about what you have to say, whether it's on a newsletter, a podcast, whatever it is. TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. Like, do you guys know about the eel guy on TikTok? Are you guys, are you guys familiar with this guy? No, eel guy? I haven't seen the eel guy. No. Eel guy? Th- this is ins- think, of, think of how insane this is. So some dude buys a house. I think it's in Ohio. And he doesn't know it when he buys it, but it has a cistern directly under the house. So there's like a cement room meant to hold water under like his garage. It's like probably the size of this room. Should have gotten an inspection. <laughs> <laughs> That he accesses through a manhole cover. And it just so happens that this guy's also like, I guess it's a heptology. Is that reptiles? Yes. Uh, yeah. Brian says yes. Yes, yeah. that's right. Thanks, Brian. Yes. Thanks, Brian. Brian. That, is, that is some quality production right there. <laughs> uh, and, and he's like, this is a perfect environment for eels. I've always wanted, I'm, I'm an expert in heptology, like I'm an expert heptologist. I think he's amateur, by the way. And I had this goal, this is an insane goal. I have this goal of eel training eels so they eat from my hand. I've thought about that before. Yeah, I think everybody thinks <laughs> Not about at that all. one Not time at all. or another. I am going, I now have the environment in which it is very easy for me to do that. I can prepare this space. This guy's like, I don't know, he's got like a million followers on TikTok. He's like kind of become like a symbol for like, think about it. Like, he's like, I'm an expert in heptology. And I am going to try this thing that's crazy of putting eels under my house in a cistern that I will go into and I will then feed them from. Right? And, like, it's blown up. Right? And, he, and he's just, he is the most normal, dorky dude. Right? But he, like, I wonder, there's probably, like, five people on this earth who have been like that guy. They've been like, man, I should really share my love of feeding eels from my hand. With the greater community, they're just like no one will care about that. Like he has expertise in this. He picked and this he thing, did man. Yeah. Like he, and he, he did said, it. I'm going to be known for something. He picked it and he went with it. And, and he's eel guy. Yeah, and similar like, to the eel guy. And he's eel yeah. guy. I, I have I have people that are totally unrelated in to my Twitter feed who are like, who are like, you know, um, I knew about him, and then someone I follow on Twitter who I, I've never met. I just like they're like an expert in something that I find interesting. It was like I've been following eel guy on Twitter. I'm sorry, on TikTok, and tomorrow he's introducing the eels into the into the eel, to like whatever eel aquarium, and I've never been so anxious in my life. Oh my gosh! Okay, and and you know it's just like one of those things. It's like let's put enough. That was a reality but, but, show next. Yeah, but the dude he has expertise and he executed, yep. and God bless him. Wow. You know, God bless him. That's awesome. Be the eel guy, Ernie motto. <laughs> I love it. Well. We had, we had time. Uh, on that note, <laughs> on Eel Guy, um, can I hit you with some speed questions? Yeah, please. Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, where's your happy place? Uh, the mountains. I feel like we covered it. Nice yep. little snow. Be good. What would you be doing if you weren't doing what you're doing? Um, Think so, about that one. <laughs> so taking out of the, like, just like, there's lots of like flavors of what I do, so I'll like put all those aside. Um, uh. I would love to have like a plot of land 
with a bunch of little like tiny cottages and like have it be like outdoor like like preferably like near mountain biking trails or a mountain or someplace and just sort of like run it like a like a like a not a tiny home community but like a short-term rental like out in the woods bonfires every night like you know skier mountain biker types like that that'd be a great thing that that's I, I get property alerts uh, so I can build it one day. I know where to come to for financing too. Financing and, 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 and where I can find the property. From. Yeah, there you yeah. Go. Just make Sounds sure you really invite cool. us too. Uh, who is your hero or person you look up to the most? Uh, there's a couple. Um, I, every year I reread uh, a book called The Good War. Highly recommend it. It's by a guy named Studs Terkel. Won a Pulitzer, I think, back in the 80s. And it's an oral history of World War II. And it is so fascinating everyone he talks to like he talks to people that are on the home front pacific theater european theater getting their perspectives and it is like this really like interesting view and like what america was like then and opportunity and like what these people believed and what they valued um and i just love the way he puts it all together and my other one is um i've talked about him before but charles ives so went to yale um he, this is, his dad, his dad was a, a band leader or whatever during the Civil War. He went to Yale, studied music, and he was on the baseball team, or football team. He was like a total bro. He's like this jockey dude at Yale. Graduates, ends up being, ends up basically inventing estate planning as we know it. Interesting. And then, in his spare time, he composed, because he, like, he studied music in college. His dad had brought him up with music. And secretly, kind of secretly composed, his family found his compositions. I want to say when he was really old. I don't think he was dead yet. But they were like, oh, my God, like these are really good. And he's now more or less considered the foremost composer of modern um, music in the U.S. And did that all while raising a family and inventing estate planning and being a former athlete. Wow. wow. Like, that is well-rounded. Like, it doesn't come at all. From, yeah. He picked oh. a few things. He picked, yeah. yeah. All right, last one. If you had a superpower, what would it be? Ooh, flight, man. Wouldn't that be cool? Superman. Yeah. Not, not even like the strength and all that stuff. Just be cool to fly. I like it. I'm with you. That's it. That's, That's it. what we got today. We appreciate you coming out. Thanks. Um, Cheers. Thank you all for watching and listening. Um, tune in to, we got YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music now, or Apple Podcasts. I'm sorry. Um, thanks to Ben coming out. We appreciate it. Thanks for the drinks. Thanks for Brian Holloway for doing the behind the scenes and giving us a little insight on the technical word for a reptile doctor. <laughs> Anyways, um, thank you all for coming out. Cheers. 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 Thanks, y'all.